You're listening to the 1% Factor Podcast with Coach Shakina, where I talk about how small changes and insights can have the greatest impact over time. Whether it's in life or business, you'll learn principles and strategies that when implemented will help you grow your business and design a lifestyle that's in alignment with who you are and fuels your purpose, passion, and vision. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Better Businesses podcast. And I'm your host, Shakina Johnson, your business coach and strategist here at JSR Vision LLC. And today, today I have a special guest of Darby. Veneer, how Veneering. are you today? I'm glad I didn't butcher that because, you know, sometimes I do that. But <laughs> how are you today, Darby? I'm doing excellent today. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. And you have a book that you have been circling around. Tell us a little bit about your book and why you're here. Yeah. So my book is called The Indispensable Leader. And it, essentially what it does is, is I kind of attack the question of, you've heard people say, I'm sure you've heard it referred to, um, or you've been asked, are you a manager or are you, or are you a leader? Um, and I kind of start out the book with by basically saying, that's not a great question because I know a fair number of managers that are really great leaders also, um, who are great at managing, but they're also great at leading. So I don't like the question of, are you a manager or are you a leader? And I think what people are really meaning when they say that is, um, are you a manager? Do you have like manager characteristics where you're like highly organized and methodical, or are you a visionary type where you're highly entrepreneurial and you're constantly thinking of new ideas? And basically, if you think about it, this is a kind of a spectrum. So you got manager on one side, you got visionary on the other, and you don't want to be at either end, either far end of that spectrum, because you don't want to be so highly methodical and so set in your ways that you can't um, look outside and see, you know, what what is the why behind this? You're only concentrating on, I just want to get, get it done and check the box. You don't want to be so far over there on that, but you don't want to be on the other end where all you do is think of new ideas and nothing ever gets um, accomplished and actually done. Um, so I kind of go through the, the that idea in the book, and I talk about a lot of things about how my term for finding that balance is um, the indispensable leader. So in order to become an indispensable leader, you need to build the best characteristics of both of those two archetypes. Um, and I kind of take you through that in the book. And I use a, a variety of uh, experiences from throughout my career and my life. And um, and that's that's kind of how I attack it. I'm glad you, you were able to do that because I hear that question a lot, right? Are you a manager or are you a leader? And working with some of the clients that I have now, there's always that well, I think I'm more of a manager or I think I'm more of a leader, but you know, they, like you said, they either have all these ideas, right. And they don't really have the methodical or the, the tactical part of, you know, the how to or the what um, in their, in their arsenal. And so they're kind of like in a the mix, they like to box themselves in a lot though, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they do. Yeah. It's pretty typical of, of people having an idea of where they fall. Usually you favor one side or the other, um, I fall more, a little bit more on the manager side than the visionary side. Um, although I, I do embrace my visionary side every now and then to uh, um, work on strategic planning and that sort of thing. But I love to get into the details and build process and get things done and see things accomplished and understand the what um, and how we're going to do something. Um, but that means I also need to be careful and I, I got to pay attention to that why. Like, why are we trying to accomplish this? Because if we don't understand that we could do a whole lot of stuff 
that is a total waste of time. Um, and what we we don't want that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty typical that you see that where um, folks have a general idea. And and the idea is, is, is you know, try to, to build um, the characteristics that you may be weaker in and try to become the best leader that you can possibly become in the long run. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit like you. I like to dig into the details, but I also have a, a bunch of ideas. So I'm kind of like, it kind of depends. I can get lost in the details and forget to do the CEO, the true CEO things or the leadership stuff um, and just get lost and do all the details. Um, before I settled really into coaching, I did a lot of different types of businesses, but I would get lost in doing either the writing for the the copywriting that I was doing or the website designing. Um, and I wanted to implement, and I still wanted to implement all of the ideas that I had and all at the same time, no matter what they were, <laughs> but it doesn't help if you don't have that vision on where you're going. So um, tell me a little bit more, more about why you decided to actually go in this direction with your book. Was it just something that you were experiencing yourself or something that, you know, came out of, your journey. Yeah, I think that in the world today, we have a, a fundamental issue with leadership in general, whether it's leadership within a corporate setting or a nonprofit setting or a government setting. And that's a whole other story that that's probably a whole other podcast, um, <laughs> not on this topic. But because of that, kind of throughout my career, I've kept notes on various interactions that I've had and challenges that I encountered and that sort of thing. I never really said, I mean, early on, I never said, oh, I'm keeping these notes to to write a book. It was just interesting things that I dealt with, challenges that I encountered, how I dealt with those things and that sort of thing. And basically what I found is, is over time, um, we we have a lot of leaders and not just young leaders, I mean, leaders in general who just don't fully understand. I mean, we're in a transition right now. Um, you hear about the the great resignation and, and all of that. And I know there's yeah. back and forth on whether that's a real thing or not. There is some aspect of it that is real. I mean, that's that's the reality. And But it's all evolving over time and it always has been. It's not anything new. It's just a different evolution. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we have to change our leadership style. I mean, just, I mean, COVID, let's be clear, changed everything for how we manage people. Everything is so much different now because there's whole companies, as you know, that have gone totally remote. So you just took a, a bunch of, of people who lead other individuals, who saw them on a day-to-day -day basis, who their only interaction has ever been face-to-face. -face, I can stand and talk to you. And suddenly I have to manage you through a screen. And not only that, that's hard enough. But let's talk about just hiring and onboarding and, and leading people through an onboarding process. That is totally different. I mean, some of the challenges that that I encounter with clients is um, they maybe can, were able to make the transition with their current team to remote pretty easily because they know each other. So mm -hmm. they already have the relationships. But where the challenge came in is, is when they had to start backfilling positions and hiring new people in and finding ways to onboard those folks. So there's just a constant evolution in leadership in general. And I really wanted to circle around and focus on that idea of understanding the the uh, manager side and the visionary side because that is the really the entire spectrum of things because like i said you're talking about the how and what you're going to do mm -hmm. and the why you're going to do it and the, that's really where everything starts from goal setting you're talking about the why and and 
Um, what's the the uh, plan for the future? Where do we want to go? And then you really get into, okay, great. I see the vision three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. How are we going to get there? So then you got to really dig in and build that. And and I don't think as leaders, we're very good at understanding that there are different types of individuals and you have to take uh, advantage of different um, skill sets that are out there. Because even within your team, even if they're not leading people, there are indispensable leaders on your team. Um, mm-hmm. They're just leading in a different way. And there are more manager th- archetype thinkers, and there are some more visionary archetype thinkers. And you have to take advantage of those um, different individuals depending on the project and make sure that you're mixing them appropriately to help your company or mm-hmm. your department um, or your organization accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. And I think that that's really why I went down that. I just had something I wanted to say, and I decided this is going to be the best way to do that. Um, and I use my experiences from throughout my career to do that. So that's, it's interesting you brought those up, specifically that example. Um, I was working with a client last week who was having a similar issue. They were transitioning from being in office, in person, and they have decided to change into an all virtual company. And the mindset around, so what do I do with my employees, was a question that popped up. It was, how do I give my employees what they need and still protect what I need? You know, coming in or working at a certain time, um, producing the quality work, onboarding new clients, right? And then the opposite spectrum of that, I I knew a guy who, um, when the pandemic hit, some sometime into the pandemic, whenever you know the shutdowns and stuff happened, um, he had to. He decided instead of going, he was more paper based, and so he decided to fire all his employees because he couldn't really transition from in person to virtual, and he couldn't figure out how to do that. So he lost the majority of his staff because of the mindset shift. But then there's other people who are like, yeah, no, we're switching to virtual because this is what we have to do. How do I make this happen? The dynamic there is so different. There's a lot of people who fell in the first bucket. Then, then there are, um, there's other people who fell into the second bucket as well. And so you're, you're, you're mentioning exactly what's happening. There's so many people going through the same thing. So, so many people. Um, but those two stories kind of reminded me of what you were talking about. Um, you've also transitioned into multiple careers and businesses, right? And so we talked a little, little bit about this before in our previous conversation. I thought that was interesting because this has also helped you shape your your book and the reality. So can you tell us a little bit about some of those transitions you've had and some of the struggles you've had to overcome while doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as we talked before, I had kind of a weird arc through my career. So <laughs> I started out in retail right out right, right out of college and I I was a manager one of like six managers at a 22 screen AMC movie theater um and it was a great experience I loved the environment um and then I moved on from there to even more heavy retail where I took over managing a Kinko store now they're called FedEx office for all you younger people out there but they were called Kinkos then before FedEx bought um, them out um and that was interesting that was a that was a total mindset shift so obviously I was used in the theater dealing with customer service and customers and all of that but shifting over to 
the quick print industry with Kinko's, which at that time, all the Kinko stores were 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They never closed. That was Kinko's thing. Like we never closed. We always joked, why do we have locks on our doors? Because we never closed. Um, all holidays, everything. Um, so managing that type of a team was totally different. Um, and it, uh, it it definitely took a lot of... Um, commitment and communication. Um, it took uh, a lot of uh, time. Um, and inevitably, I was there, I don't know, five or six years, I did that. And I kind of got to the point where I'm like, hmm, I'm ready to be uh, I'm done with this retail thing, especially the 24 hour thing, because I don't know how many times I'd work 10 or 11 hours or more and I'd get home and I'd have dinner and I'd get a phone call that the person who was supposed to be working overnight was sick and I'd have to go back and work all night. Um, I think the longest, I think I worked 37 hours straight one time. Um, I'm way too old now. I don't think I could do that anymore. But back then it was much easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I moved on from that um, that retail world into the nonprofit space. And not only just nonprofit, but um, livestock association management and not just livestock association management, but I ran the um, National Livestock Association for alpacas in the United States, which is highly unique. Um, yeah. Before, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but uh, when I got the interview, they were advertising, they were hiring through an agency. So they didn't list the company name or anything. It just described mm -hmm. what you would be doing and running the company and reporting to the board, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I got my interview and then they told me who it was, I had to look up what an alpaca was. <laughs> I had a general idea that it was like a llama, um, yeah. but I had to look up what an alpaca was. But that was a really, again, it was a, it was an interesting transition because I went from this heavy retail, highly corporate. I mean, this was Kinko's. It was huge, like um, tens of thousands of, of employees um, mm -hmm. to this uh, nonprofit organization where at the time I had 16 or 17 employees. I reported to a seven member board of directors that was spread out throughout the United States. Um, and not only that, but then every year you'd get new um, board members because a couple um, would switch out every year. And so that was a totally different experience as well. And it meant that uh, I had to learn how to deal with a board. Um, I had to learn how to deal with all those personalities. And again, getting new personalities every year um, and working through all of that along with running a business. And it was a challenging situation. Um, I won't explain the whole thing. It's too long of a story. But when I took over, they were just opening their first corporate office. Previously, it had been outsourced. Mm -hmm. So when I took over, I had all the regular challenges of running a business, but then also like buying um, file servers and phone servers. This is before the cloud. Um, file servers and phone servers and furniture and real estate and building a benefits package for employees and hiring new employees and um, all of those sorts of challenges on top of the regular um, challenges that came along with that. Um, but definitely it gave a great opportunity to kind of expand my breadth of knowledge and my level of experience. Um, I was there for over 11 years. I went through a merger with another national organization and ended up running the newly um, created combined organization after mm -hmm. that. Um went through a lot of different boards, went through a lot of different challenges because, again, 
seven member board of directors. It went up to nine after the merger, um, over 10,000 members around the world. And every time you talk to a member, they all think they are your boss. Um, <laughs> so you have to learn to deal with the politics associated with that as well. I had lots of, uh, lots of challenging situations. I had my pay was discussed constantly on social mm. media. And back then it was news groups because um, Facebook wasn't as big even back then. Um, but my pay was discussed and you'd have people that were mad at you about something or just mad at the association that I was the face. So I was the one that got the brunt of it. And they'd you know, say, this he's not worth the money they pay him. And they'd have all these discussions. I had one time, there was a petition circulated to have me fired. Um, and it was all related to something that was a board decision that I didn't have anything to do with. But again, because I was the face of that um, association, I was the one that took the brunt of that. So those experiences were interesting and they were difficult, obviously. I mean, it's not easy to have somebody say, you're not worth what we pay you. Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy to have um, people signing on a piece of paper saying they want you to be fired. Um, so dealing with those challenges definitely added to my experience over time as well. And then from there, I moved back into the for-profit world and I came back into the world of coaching and executive coaching, strategic planning, leadership development, leadership training. And, and that's kind of what, um, what I do now. I work with an organization that um, provides those services um, throughout Nebraska and the Midwest. And we have various clients throughout uh, the United States as well. But yeah. Wow. That was a lot. <laughs> a lot of, no, like a lot of what I heard, like listening to you, I heard a lot of, um, I am wondering how those transitions affected you, like mentally, mindset, um, because there's always something, if you're dedicated to a thing, you want to do your best to kind of overcome the struggles and the challenges. And sometimes you feel like, I just don't want to do this anymore, right? Um, and I'm listening to your story and I and I can just imagine part of it because me and alpaca is probably not gonna work out but <laughs> <laughs> like in that story you're like i don't even know what alpaca is how am i supposed to do this and i don't even know what that is and you are figuring out how to show up as a leader for something you're definitely not sure about and i'm i'm wondering how was that transition and specifically for the alpaca for something that you didn't know about right um how was that transition into your development as a leader yeah so one you have to work really hard on your own just to learn um obviously i did a lot of research and and, and then even after i got hired i attended a lot of alpaca conferences and shows and talked to a lot of people and i learned a lot really quick um but there is also an element I, I I don't you generally have a big problem with imposter syndrome which is a whole other thing I know some people do and if you do that makes this sort of transition much more difficult obviously so for me there still is this a, a little bit of an element of fake it till you make it mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you don't like to say that and certainly I'm not gonna uh, when I was interviewing for the job I wasn't saying I'm gonna have to fake some of this until I figure mm -hmm. it out that's not a thing, obviously. Um, but I was confident in my abilities on running a business and understanding the financial aspect and the budgeting aspect and in the employment aspect and building a team and all the fundamentals of a business that are consistent no matter what 
um, industry you are in. Um, and that's something we deal with in, in our company now when we bring people in from various organizations into a group. Sometimes you get people in who are who they they have this idea in their head that they work in a white collar environment and this other person that works in a blue collar environment, I can't relate to them at all. Well, what they find pretty quickly is, is they actually can. They have the exact same challenges that you have, just in a different environment. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when I interviewed with the board members for the alpaca position, I was upfront with them in telling them, I don't know a lot about alpacas. I know very, very little. And they knew that like they they had made the decision, we can teach that. That's not what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We need somebody that can run this business, especially because they were in the midst of trying to start this business. And these board members weren't even on site. They're all over the United States. So in order to do that, they needed somebody who could run a business. And mm-hmm. that was the fundamental. So I think when you move from position to position, you just have to think about like, what are the similarities? Like, what are the overlaps? Because that's what you need to be focused on. And as long as you're confident in your abilities with those main things, you will be able to learn the other aspects of whatever that role is. Um, so those are the, the things that are really important when you make a transition from one um, position to an, another position. Um, but yeah, it kind of gets to a point. Obviously, when I was in college, I didn't think I'm going to run a National Livestock Association <laughs> someday. It's definitely not for alpacas. In college, I hadn't <laughs> even heard of alpacas. Um so it wasn't on my list of things that I'm going to do in my career. And that's that's one thing when I coach people, especially young young leaders, um, is you have no idea what your career is going to look like five years or 10 years from now. And just go with the flow. Like if something comes up, evaluate it for what it is. And, you know, I had the thought in my head, do I really want to go into the nonprofit world? Am I going to get stuck because it was a nonprofit, mm-hmm. you're dealing with um, the nonprofit association. I'm like, is that going to get me stuck in the nonprofit world for my whole career? And I had those things. And, and that was something that I struggled with in making the decision whether or not I was going to accept the role or not. Um, but in the long run, you look at it and, and I felt like this is a good opportunity. It's going to add to my level of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to give me an opportunity to essentially run a business to serve as CEO of that organization and see that grow. And we had great potential. And I saw lots of things coming that were going to be great from a growth standpoint and challenges. Um, and all of those things are great for me. They were great for me as a leader to be able to work with a team that um, I was able to develop over the course of time. Um, and definitely, I look back, every transition that I've made, you, you have people ask, I'm sure you've been asked, do you ever have any regrets or would you do it differently? There's things that I would make different decisions in my life. Would I change, I go back and change um, what roles that I went into, even though I encountered some challenges in different roles? I don't think I would because mm-hmm. they all added to my historical knowledge and who I am today as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, past experiences is a huge thing for us as humans. We don't understand, like most people don't understand how much we are dictated by past experience. Um, I have really great examples all throughout my career um, of that. But uh, early on when I was at the movie theater, one example that I have is, is I'm going to shorten this down a little bit. But essentially, um, back then when you had film, it was before digital movies, um, all of the movies had to be 
it was called torn down um, on Thursday night that were being sent back and you get new movies in um, that were opening the next day because there, when a movie comes, it would come on like six or eight reels and it would have to be put together in one big reel. Mm -hmm. So you have to take these reels back apart and put them on their individual reels in order to send them back. So when I was done with my closing duties as a manager at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, I would always go help the projectionist because I couldn't leave until they were done anyway. And I was taking apart one of these movies and you basically are spinning it and you have this knob that you can speed up and slow down how fast it spins off of the platter onto the little <laughs> reel. And I got this thing going because I was, let's be clear, I was tired and I was in a hurry and I wanted to go <laughs> home. And evidently the ring that holds the, the movie print on the big platter in the middle was not secure. And all at once, this thing went flying off into the projection booth. And it was like one of those slow motion moments in your life where you're like, no. <laughs> so you end up with this mess of film yeah. on the floor. It's like a 2000 foot extension cord that's all jumbled up in knots. And I spent the next five or six hours mm -hmm. taking this thing apart, um, pulling strands out and cutting it and unknotting it and then splicing it and then pulling the next strands. There were so many splices in this movie by the time I was done. And I, I got done about seven o'clock in the morning and I went home and I showered and I came immediately back and I was standing outside my managing director's door. Like literally, I remember standing there just staring at the door going, you are fired. Like this is it. <laughs> because I'm quite sure we probably were going to have to pay for this movie print mm -hmm. um, and it, they're expensive. Um, and I went in and I explained to him what happened. I took responsibility. I said, here's what I did to fix it. But there's so many spices in this. We're probably going to end up getting billed for this. Um, I know it was a huge mistake. And he looked at me and he goes, Darby, I appreciate you coming in and talking to me um, about it and letting me know. And I appreciate what you did to, to fix it. He's like, go home and get some sleep. And that was it. Like he, that was it. And the, the idea behind it was, is essentially, um, he knew that I was stressed, but mm -hmm. he also knew that I did everything that I could possibly do. Mm -hmm. It was an accident. Shit happens. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing else that can be done anyway. So um, we moved on. I didn't lose my job. I was there for quite a bit um, longer. <laughs> um, and, but here's the thing about that, that past history, that moment changed how I lead forever. Like I have had many people who worked for me who have made mistakes, significant mistakes in some cases, significant mistakes that cost us budget wise or something. Mm -hmm. And I have had those people across the desk for me that looked like I looked to my managing director then. And it changed how I deal with it because I'm much more calm about it. I understand that mistakes happen. I'm able to tell that story. I don't know how many times I've told that story to people <laughs> when I knew that they were stressed out and freaked out that they were going to lose their job. And yeah, I can't have it happen multiple times. So we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again, but stuff happens. And that's what I mean. Like all of that experience you gain in everything you do changes and shapes who you are for all time. And that actually happens on the good side. It can happen on the bad side too. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be very careful about that. No, interesting. Um, you said there's a, a few things I wanted to pull out from the stories that you were telling, but one of the important things that you just said is that they're human, right? 
And so people will make mistakes. They will do whatever. Um, Sometimes they're catastrophic. (laughs) Sometimes they're not as bad. But there's this mindset around thinking that we have to be perfect for our employers or perfect for whoever we're working for um, and that we're not allowed to make mistakes. And if we do make a mistake, we're immediately fired. See, that 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 cultural fit, that cultural uh, uh, environment. Right. One, you got to be careful how you are bringing people into the environment, making sure they're actually part of that environment. Right. Um, But thinking that you're going to be fired over a mistake that you make. That's a different mindset that needs to occur, right? But everybody's not a robot. And so I'm glad that your manager was like, just go home. You're tired. You're stressed. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be okay. We'll figure this out. Or there there was nothing else after that. But still, it was a show of not consideration of um, of empathy and understanding that, like you said, shit happens. So we have to treat people and give them that type of grace. Not to say, like you said, it doesn't need to happen again. Or multiple times, but as long as you're doing the best that you can to overcome the situation or fix the situation that you created, or it was an accident or whatever, then may, sometimes that's enough, right? Um, and you had mentioned something earlier about, well, in my head, I didn't put things together, but um, the foundations of either a, a true leader and a manager, right? And how the indispensable leader what type of foundations do you think a, an indispensable leader should have to become a little bit of a melding of both? Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. So from the start, it's just some of those things I talked about. You, you have to have that balance of understanding what we're going to do and how we're going to do it with why are we doing it. And you have to constantly evaluate that because that why might change. And if it changes, it may mean abandoning a project. And if you get too far to the manager side, abandoning a project is not an option. You already told me it needs to get done. So I'm going to do it, darn it. And you, you have to kind of get out of that. So you have to learn to balance those things. Um, fundamentally, that's like the first the first step mm-hmm. is understanding that. And then there's a set of skills that you just need to build to be um, more well-balanced um, as a leader in general. Um, and as part of my definition of, of indispensable leader, empathy is one of those things and understanding um, the story I just told you is one of the stories that I use in the book um, and understanding that, um, you know, everything, th- there's always going to be challenges. It's how you're going to um, embrace those challenges and move forward, whether within your own role or with employees that work for you and how you're going to encourage them and coach them along. Because what you don't want to have is, is you don't want to have people living in fear. I mean, you were mentioning that culture um, that you, you don't want on the side of being afraid that you're going to get fired um, all the time. Because what happens is, is you lose all innovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be clear. The only way innovation happens is, is if we take risks. And the only way we can take risks is if we have a high enough level of trust within our organization that we're going to allow each other to make mistakes, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding those things are fundamental to being a really great leader. Um, high amount of communication um, obviously is really important. Understanding how to listen. And you hear that all the time, and I think it probably gets to be cliche about being a good listener. But what I usually say is, is I ask folks, and I try to myself, you don't always succeed, but I try to myself, 
listen to understand. Don't just listen to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, a good leader really listens to understand instead of listening to respond. And what I mean by that is listening to respond is you're talking to me and I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm constantly trying to formulate what I'm going to say in response to it. Mm-hmm. In that case, I'm not actually hearing what you're saying. Um, I'm only listening just so that I can respond. Um, and that converged all the way over towards the term conversational narcissism, where basically everybody's always trying to turn the conversation back to them. Yeah. Um, and you don't want that either, especially as a leader. Um, so that's another piece. Another thing is, is just understanding um, that, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, that everybody has different gifts. So when you're hiring, um, one of the things I, I try to um, coach individuals on when they're hiring is, is what are you trying to hire for? And I don't mean the name of the position. I don't mean customer service representative or whatever. I, I get that. Like every every position's got a name and you have certain duties you're hiring for. Yes, you got to hire for those things. But what is your organization needing? Are you needing to bring in somebody into your team who maybe is more engaging and more positive because you have a lot of people who are highly focused and very reserved, then maybe that's a skill set that you're trying to bring in in addition to the position itself. What are those things? Um, And what I usually say is, is the last thing you should be asking yourself before you hire somebody is, is how does this person make this organization better? And if you do that, you're going to end up with a much more diverse workforce than you would if you're just trying to hire for the position alone. Because what you may end up with if you do that is a bunch of cookie cutters of everybody that's here. And that's not going to help innovation either. And it's probably going to stymie your organization in the long run. Um, So trying to find people who are going to bring a special skill set to your team in some way or another as well. That's another big piece of it, too. Right. So all those characteristics that you just named for the indispensable leader, you can, it's fair to say that it comes from your experience. So we're not counting out your experience, right? How could people learn to do more of those things you just listed? Well, there's a variety of things. And I talk about some of this in the book as well. One of the big things is, is mentorship. Find mentors that can help you. And you should have multiple mentors because people serve in different ways. I've had mentors before who were within the organization that I was in, who mentored me on things within that organization. Like in the alpaca industry, I had a lot of mentors to help mentor me about alpacas and the alpaca industry um, because I needed that. Um, At the same time though, I had mentors outside of the organization who mentored me when I had challenges that I encountered with the organization that I was within, or when I was trying to make decisions about career changes or whatever, obviously, I'm not going to talk to somebody within the organization that I'm in, especially if I report to them, they're not going to be a good mentor. If I'm thinking about a career change, that's probably not a thing that I'm going to do. So I have mentors that are outside of the organization as well. People that I have built trusting relationships with that have more experience than I have in those areas. I've I've gone to mentors when I've um, negotiated when I negotiated my very first employment contract, I'm like, I have no experience with this. I've never had to sign an employment contract. Does this look right? <laughs> and so I have had mentors that have helped me with those sorts of things and helped talk through leadership challenges and that sort of thing. So mentorship is huge. Um, the other piece of it is, is coaching. And I know you're passionate about coaching as well. 
find a coach um, that you can work with that you trust. And it takes some time and you may have to try more than one person, um, but you can build a relationship with that individual to help talk through any challenges that you're having within your organization, with decisions that you're trying to make, whatever those things will be. And that will help develop you as well. Um, And then there's other things like Um, Like my organization does leadership development programs where we do a combination of coaching and leadership training. So there's those options out there if you're trying to gain those sorts of skills. Um, I'm very big on continuous learning and development in general. So there's, of course, other things too, like read books, look for recommendations, attend conferences, um, do those sorts of things. And then there's also, of course, formal education if you want to go all the way and like get your MBA or get your master's in leadership or something like that. Um, but that's a whole different commitment as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, so I'm going to buy the book. I'm going to go buy a book. <laughs> go buy your book. Because um, I love everything that I'm hearing. And there's it's a, it's a much needed area in the leadership realm. And people are trying to become better leaders. And because of everything has been transitioning and happening and, and whatnot, I think it's a much needed space. Um, it's interesting because I was, I was speaking to, I work with a lot of attorneys and other small business owners and whatnot, but there is a change backing up. So I used to be a paralegal 15 years in, um, in the industry. And I've been on both sides, right? I've been the employee and I'm a business owner, multiple business owners, right? And working with um, some of the professional organizations now, they went from corporate to from being an employee to running their own business. And now they actually have to think about how they want to show up in their organization, how they actually want to have those conversations so their people don't hate them as much. Right. Because a lot of attorneys (laughs) are usually stressed. A lot of um, high end business owners who have multiple things going on are usually stressed. And there's a journey that goes along with understanding your personality because most people kind of. Um, when they're going on their entrepreneurial journey, figuring out a lot about themselves. And like, I didn't know I was like that. Yeah, you're kind of a micromanager. Do you want to be a micromanager? Please say no. (laughs) (laughs) But they learn a lot about themselves in the journey and taking their past experiences and marrying it with the present. It is, it's hard to, for some people to transition that. Um, Taking their experience, bringing it to the present, talking to their employees, figuring out the type of person they want to be or how they want to show up in the place that they're trying to create for themselves and for others. It's, it's difficult sometimes. And having a space where you can go to get, you know, some semblance of answers or some, some confidence, building some confidence for your, for themselves um, is interesting, right? The, the coaching, the mentoring, the leadership, the um, training, the leadership training, the, you know, groups that you can go to, Again, you can do higher education if you want to go there. But like you said, it's there's so many things that could help you become a better leader, but not everything's going to come overnight. So there's going to be a period of growth, um, incremental growth. Um, you have to want it. You have to do it. You have to be consistent with it. So if you are, you know, you need a mentor, have somebody to, you know, call you out on your own stuff to talk about the challenges and how you can walk through things or and get a coach who will help you see the certain different sides of things or maybe um, training to learn how other people are doing it so you can do better things. I think that is such a very interesting way of building a leader because it, part of it is them. The other part of it is their, their work, the work ethic to attached to that. But um, 
So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And thank you for being on, on the show today. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, right? I always ask these two questions for everybody. So I was wondering what your answers are. Um, what's your definition of success? That's an interesting question for, I think it's, it's totally different for everybody. Um, if you ask this all the time, I'm sure you're hearing lots of different answers. Um, but it all depends on what your priorities are in, in life. And I think it can change throughout your life. I mean, early on, success may be defined as, um, you know, being promoted or making more money or or whatever that might be. Success for me at this point is, I mean, yeah, I need to make a certain amount of money to, you know, live my life. And I have goals as far as being able to retire someday and travel and those sorts of things, of course. But more than that, success for me at this point in my life, I'm looking at things of everything that I do and every career change that I make, I want to understand how that organization or that decision is going to affect the community at large. And by that, I mean the people around me, the people in my city, in my state, in my country, in my world. I want to understand um, that I'm having a positive impact um, in some way. And this can be in a variety of ways. I mean, I work for an organization that does leadership development, coaching, and strategic planning and everything now. And how I view, view that within my mind is look at all of the companies that we work with. This is how I explain it to employees that I work with um, and team members. Look at the, the all the companies we work with and imagine the impact we have had on the people within those organizations and what has changed and how that organization has grown and how that individual has grown economically, knowledge-wise, whatever it may be. And now imagine all of that magnified because we taught them these skills that they're portraying to other people and it just magnifies out. So I think that's that's what I how I really view success at this point is is how, like what's the impact that I can have that my organization can have um, on others um, in our world. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Next question: What advice would you give to others going through the same journey? <laughs> um, well, there's a variety of different things that uh, I usually say when I'm talking to leaders out there. One of one of the big ones is 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 just stay curious. You've already heard me talk about continuous development and, and um, lifelong learning and how important that is. But stay curious because it's going to make you a better leader in the long run because you're going to continue to evolve over time. You are going to realize that how you were leading before is maybe not how you should be leading today. And that's a good thing. Like we should be evolving. Um, the other thing is, is Understand that not everything will always be easy. Like there's going to be challenges. Just treat those challenges as learning opportunities. As I told you, I mean, I didn't go down the path thinking that eh, it would be really great to have a petition signed to have me fired. That would be a great thing to experience. <laughs> Obviously, that's not a thing that I uh, said at the time. And it sucked at the time. Like it was an awful feeling. But I had a job to do and I just went forward and I said, I can't control that. So I'm going to control what I can control. And I just viewed it as another learning experience. Um, the other thing is, is listen, which I already said, you know, listen to understand, don't just listen to respond. And then lastly, as a leader, just, I think this is really important, especially in the world we live in today is just be kind, understand that 
everybody has their own crap they're dealing with. And the people you work with and the people that work for you, what you see of their life is a small percentage of their life. They have a lot going on that you have no clue about. So if they have a bad day and they make a comment to you that maybe they shouldn't have made or they wouldn't have made on any other day, grant them some grace. I mean, have a conversation with them. That's fine. But give them some grace. Don't get pissed off about it. Just understand there's probably something else going on in their life. Um, and we just need to, in general, as humans, uh, I think that's a good rule. Just be be more kind to people. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> definitely agree with you on that one um all right cool so share to um share with the audience where people can find you your book your business your organization yeah absolutely um the easiest way is just go to my website it is beindispensable.com and that'll have all the links for the book it'll have info about me if you want to get in touch with me that sort of thing you can also i'm active on most social media i'm most active on linkedin if you just search for darby veneer you can also find me and just connect with me and i connect with most everybody um provided i i if I connect with you and you immediately send me a message to sell me something, <laughs> then um, we may not move forward from there. But <laughs> I'm happy to build relationships and over time have that conversation. Yes, but uh, can't be all about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Oh, my goodness. You get the connection and then all of a sudden, here, buy my thing, buy my thing, buy yeah. my thing. I'm going to block you. I'm going to block you. <laughs> but um, all right, cool. So thank you, Darby, for showing up today and sharing your wisdom as per always. It's always a pleasure to have you. Um, with that, everybody, we're going to go ahead and log off. Have a good day. Go be great and take care. And that wraps up another episode of the 1% Factor Podcast. If you'd like to experience more of this and want to learn how to build a calm, intentional, and impactful business, outside of the hustle culture society we live in, go to thefocusceo.co forward slash 1%.